0: Right. right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 28 through 30. Uh, we looked at this message several weeks ago, the first part, and we'll pick it up today and finish walking through this text. We've been going through a series for a number of weeks now on changed and what God does inside of us, what God does through us, how he changes our heart, how he changes our actions. And we come to... I guess we could say the quality, the quality of gentleness. And if you've read your Bible, you've probably come across Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus gives what's called the Beatitudes. It's all of these qualities saying, if these are you, if these are attitudes, qualities in your life, then you are blessed. It means favored by God. And many of those qualities, society doesn't value at all. Society doesn't value meekness. Society does not value being broken hearted. And when you come to Matthew chapter 5 and the Bible says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A lot of people in the U.S., when we read that, we read it too fast and we think that it says, Blessed are the weak, right? And we say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What meekness actually is, is it is power under control. It means the, I guess we could say the appetites and the drive of our life. It's when that comes under the control of Jesus Christ. And the picture would be a horse that's under con- the control of its rider. And for those of you that were here on, uh, I guess it would be the second night of vacation Bible school, we had someone who is still living in the memory hall, the hall of fame for probably every child that was here. And he is known as the cowboy. And we had, for those of you that weren't here, we had a genuine cowboy, I mean, all the way down to the chaps and the spurs here on the stage. And we were doing kind of an illustration based on the awesome mural that was up here, All We Like Sheep Have Gone Astray. And then at a certain point in the interview with this cowboy, a grown man, uh, Tyler, runs out from the side and the cowboy, like a boss of all bosses has the rope and lassos the young man and hog ties him. I mean, we had kids almost coming over the backs of pews. It was like little Romans wanting to see some violence, just, ah, I mean, going crazy. And so you have Tyler, six foot three of just, I mean, just a large young man, just a powerful, an example of manhood. You alright, right, Tyler? All right. And he's here um, and he was there on the ground, and I mean, Mike, it was just like you would have seen a calf roping. I mean, Mike was doing this, and rope's flying, and kids are just, you know, screaming, and Tyler's up here like, was this actually voted on? You know, and and I thought about that, and we we went ahead and taught the mini-sermon while he was still hogtied down here, just like a calf. You came to a weird church. I'm sorry. You're like, well, oh, the GPS brought us here, all right? When we tried to explain to the kids in one sense that, that we like sheep have gone astray and sometimes God has to do radical things to get us where we need to be with Him. And when we come to the idea of gentleness in Galatians chapter 5 verse 23, it's very interesting for those of you who enjoy really studying the Bible. Cause here's what's a neat little key. The word in the original language of the New Testament, It's the same word for meekness as it is for gentleness. But when you look at how those words are translated differently, meekness is always translated in the sense of the attitude that God begins to create in us. Meaning it's no longer about Jeff. It's no longer Jeff's plans. It comes under the control of Jesus Christ. Now how does that work itself out? Meekness, we could say meekness demonstrated or meekness applied comes out of the meekness machine and you get a package, you get a product, an attitude that we call gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is the attitude of meekness that's actually applied in our relationships and the way that we interact with people. In Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and this phrase gentle and lowly of heart. That's the picture. I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find this is a guarantee from Jesus and you will find rest for your souls. American culture is similar to ancient culture because in ancient culture, you never wanted to publicize, you know what I am? I'm meek. I'm gentle. The way that you publicize yourself then was like Caesar. Here's one of his, his quotes, Therese said, I had rather be first in a village than second in Rome, meaning I would rather be a king of something small than take second place to anyone. The way that you got fame in the first century was showing how that you were more powerful than other people. You never wanted to say, I'm meek and I'm gentle. Can you imagine the people who heard Jesus say this? I mean, this is Jesus. He's talking to people and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All of you who are tired with life. Everybody who's tried to win. Everybody who's tried to be good enough. Jesus says, come to me. Why? He says, because I'm gentle or I'm meek. And I'm lowly in heart. You can imagine people like, well, Jesus, we're trying to get a movement here going. You can imagine Peter, like Jesus, flex, <laughs> like do do something, like like just get give a disease or take a disease or raise somebody from the dead, like make a donkey talk. I mean, do something. Don't say that. Everybody's going to think that you're weak. But for those of us that have been saved and following Jesus Christ, and here's the thing too, if you're not a, a, believer, a follower of Christ, if you've never been changed, born again, we are super pumped that you're here today. Amen, church? Like this is an open place for questions, an open place for inquiry. So as you are investigating Jesus and you come across phrases like this, it's almost like Jesus' advertisements, stay with me, would actually push people away instead of bring people to him. Now, isn't that kind of what Jesus did every time they got a crowd? Every time they got a crowd, Jesus did not say, all right, if you guys hurry up and ask me into your heart before you change your mind, you can have all of these great blessings. You can go to heaven when you die. You'll get a new, a new chariot, right, every year. You're never going to have marriage problems. You're never going to have kid problems. And by the by the way, isn't that some of what comes across in Christian teaching today? we tracking together. It's kind of like, you say, it's kind of like the way Jesus is packaged today is if you give your life to Jesus, then everything's going to be hunky-dory. It's all going to be just a rainbow of Skittles. Everything's going to be awesome when you give your life to Jesus because Jesus has come to give you life and give it in abundance. And we'll look in a minute of what that actually looks like. But to understand that this was not what you say, what you say, if you're trying to Get a movement going as you say, I am high. Jesus says, I am lowly in heart. You say, I am high in spirit, and I am a person who needs to be reckoned with. And if you mess with me, I'm going to take you down. That's what you did to get a crowd. That's what you did to get followers, and it's really the same way that it works today. Now, when Jesus says that he's lowly in heart, some of you say, Hold on, Jeff. I've known some people who claim to be Christians, and they are absolutely miserable. Have you ever known people who, who, who claim to follow Jesus, but there's zero joy in their life? And they talk about, well, I want to tell you what God did to me. You take somebody who's never been saved, they're like, I hope God doesn't do the same thing to me. (laughs) Like if that's what God does, I don't want it. When Jesus says lowly in heart, he doesn't mean miserable. When Jesus says lowly in heart, it doesn't mean that we go down putting ourselves down. I've known a lot of Christians who think that humility is destroying themselves by what they say. Have you ever known a Christian like that? And they think that humility is as much bad things that they can say about themselves to other people. That may actually be a form of pride. We all right? Because you see, I feel good about myself. We're tracking that other people don't think that I think highly of myself. So either way, you cut it. The guy or the lady who walks into the room and wants to be first place or the person who's always talking about themselves, but it's simply about how they don't measure up. It's the same thing. It's all about us. So what does Jesus actually mean later on when he begins to describe about being full of the abundance of life? That taken together with gentle and lowly in heart. Here's, here's what it means. It means that we have a proper view of ourselves. Write this down. Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which would really cut out most of reality TV, right? None of us watch reality TV and like, I want to just watch everybody get along. We don't do that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility this is powerful but in humility count others more significant than yourselves now we have to be careful the bible does not say say that other people are better than you because at the end of the day Nobody is better than another person morally before god In fact, we are all without jesus christ guilty and on our way to hell We are Like if you came this morning confused about the gospel the message of the gospel is that you're not okay None of you Me we are all very not very mucho. Not okay And the path to getting okay is realizing that we're not okay We good this morning? I know it's still early for some, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Here's, here's what the Bible's getting at. It's not saying that you say that other people are morally superior to you, but it means that you, in your reasoning process, you count them as having the first place. It means you give them what they do not deserve why because we're followers of jesus christ and jesus said for those of you who are taking notes in matthew 20 28 jesus did not come to be served but he came to serve and to give his life as a reason for many for some of us we say man it's just hard sometimes serving the lord like it's really hard in my home some of you ladies say it's hard serving my my husband and my kids because they don't really give they don't really even express gratitude Think about service to the point of giving your life. I know this is one of those things where like, well, yeah, Jesus gave his life. So that really makes my service look small. But Jesus came to give every bit of himself for us. So if we're following him, the way that we make decisions is where we count others more significant than ourselves in terms of giving them what they do not deserve, which is really what we all need in relationships. Can we be really real? Every single one of us needs grace and forgiveness. There's no friendship, no work relationship, no marriage that can survive without grace and forgiveness. So what the Bible is saying is as you have seen Christ do, as you have seen him conquer, follow in his steps. But the beautiful part in Galatians chapter 5 is that Jesus gives us the ability to do that. So what happens when we, going back to Matthew 28, excuse me, uh, 11 verse 28, what happens when we come to him, when we are weary and heavy laden? He says, and I, what's it say? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You know, rest is only an enticing option when we're really, really tired. I don't even know how to explain that feeling, but you—you—you—you've you've had it, right? I mean, you—you you were absolutely exhausted, absolutely, like to the point of driving down the road and then waking up and realizing that you're driving on the other side of the road, kind of tired. Absolutely exhausted. You know the feeling of oh man, what would it be like to go home and get a good shower? He just said shower in church. I mean, come on, you go, and you say, I'm going to get a good meal, and then I'm going to go to my bed that has clean, and for single guys, that's once every three months, clean sheets, clean. I mean, so tight that like Marine Corps, I mean, they could bounce a nickel off of it, I mean, clean. And you fall into that bed, and you've got that pillow that fits perfectly on your neck, and you just fall down and you're like, I don't know what heaven is like, but this is awesome. And then it's that feeling right before you fall asleep, that feeling of rest. What Jesus is saying to a group of people that were absolutely exhausted is that most of them were trying to earn what they could never deserve, and that's a right relationship with God. There were other people on the outskirts, and you know what the religious crowd called them? Sinners. Guess who sinners are? All of us. They were absolutely exhausted because they had seen the end of sex outside of marriage. They had seen the brokenness of what that, that brings. They had, they were parting, trying to find fulfillment that way. And they saw the brokenness of what that brings. And Jesus is saying, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And then notice how Jesus explains what that is like in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now right here people probably were very curious especially the ones who were raised in a Jewish background because when you read the old testament Deuteronomy 28 verse 48 God uses the picture of a yoke And you guys have seen yoke, right? Not the ones that Rocky breaks and puts into a cup and drinks, right? Like a yoke that actually goes across two beasts of burden. That's a picture in the Old Testament that God gives to his people of slavery. And here's what it says. God says, when you run away from me, when you disobey, this is what will happen to your nation. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. If you've read about Jeremiah, he used a yoke. Imagine this. Pastor Jeff comes in Sunday morning. I've got a yoke. And I'm saying that God's going to have the nation of the United States of America be in subjection to a foreign power. That's what God told Jeremiah to do. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 is what the Bible says. That it is not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. What God is saying is that I'm wanting my people to come to me in real heart change, real repentance, so that the yoke of slavery will be broken. And for Jesus' followers and Jesus' hearers, they understood these concepts. They understood what it was like in the Old Testament. And In Jeremiah chapter 28, you've got Jeremiah wearing these yoke bars and then there was a false prophet named Hananiah. And what Hananiah did is he came when Jeremiah was preaching and he took the yoke off of his back. Imagine that. I'm up here preaching with a yoke. Some dude who comes in and he pulls the yoke off of my neck, off of my back and breaks it. That would be awkward. And what he said to the people is that God will not bring the nation into bondage. He gave a message of peace, peace where there is no peace. Here's where the rubber begins to meet the road. We can know gospel Bible teaching by a couple of factors. Number one, it lifts Jesus high. Amen, church? You say, how do I know if this preacher or teacher or person on television is actually teaching the truth when everything points to Jesus? And how do we point to Jesus? By realizing that we could never be who he is. Practically, that means that when we hear good gospel teaching, it means that we don't feel that great. It means that we don't come away. You know what? I went to church and I wasn't sure how I stood with God. And I came away from church feeling like I am awesome give me the Superman shirt. Give me the Wonder Woman shirt. I'm ready. I I mean, I'm ready to face God. I'm the stuff. All I heard at church was that I just need to try more. I can definitely try. Look at all the things that I've worked for in my life. That is not biblical teaching. If we come away from it thinking that we're okay, that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that none of us are okay. We're the farthest thing from okay. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came not to make it even, not to make sin cancel out with righteousness, but to fulfill the wrath of God and to give us hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, false biblical teaching will tell you, here's a pain pill of human goodness, right? And you know how pain pills work. Do they actually fix anything? No, they don't. Pain pills simply mask what's really going on. But whether it's a back issue, neck issue, when the things get where they should be, the body is able to heal. And when we look at the Word of God, it doesn't give us things that simply wear off. We receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the awesome thing about that is that He never leaves us and He never, ever forsakes us. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you know what he's saying? Is that I can deliver you from empty work and empty recreation. Man, we are a culture that is so crazy overloaded with recreation. You ever notice how many things there are to do? There's a million things to do. There's a million companies out there saying... Buy our product, do our activity, and it will be greater than you ever imagined. It's like their Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Do this, and all of your wildest dreams will come true. And what do we do? Where's a credit card, right? Swipe that sucker. And then we're in debt. We okay too much? I mean, are we all right? Then we get in debt for things that we don't necessarily need, and those leave us empty. What Jesus is saying is that when you come to become a follower of me, when you repent of your sin and follow Christ, he gives you something to do. One of the worst things in our culture is that we're so overloaded with recreation and activities and especially with young families today, I, I don't, Jen and I, we've talked about it. We're like, we, we're not going to do, we can't do that much. Because what happens with many young families today is the kids are in like 50 different sports. And I'm not kicking on sports. We were a sports family growing up. But there's a point where you've got to reassess and say, we're running ourselves into the ground. What is important? What is important? Family time and following Christ is important. We have people that are so overloaded with recreation and with activities. And then on the other hand, some of us are absolutely mind-numbingly bored. We've done all this stuff. We've gone on the vacations. We're riding the ride, living the dream. Midlife crisis, nice sports car, toupee flopping in the wind. I mean, living the dream. Hashtag Smith Mountain Lake, what's up? Rowan Oak. Let's go to. Let's go to. Let's just travel. Let's get wanderlust. Let's do fun things. Let's hang out with good people. Eat good food. And at the end of the day, we find ourselves absolutely strapped in unnecessary debt and just as empty as before. Just as empty as before. And what Jesus is saying is that take my yoke upon you. He's saying there is no reason for you to ever be bored. And you say, Jeff, I have a job that is incredibly. Incredibly boring. I'm married to a boring person. I have a boring life. If that's you, don't say that. I don't have any purpose in what I do. It seems like I just do what I do to survive. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, He's saying, I've got a direction. And the cool thing about a yoke is you don't pull it alone. Come on. You've got teamwork. You've got camaraderie. You've got community. Everybody wants to belong to something. Even if it's red dawn and you're firing away at the Russian gunship, screaming wolverines. For those of you childs of the 80s, everybody wants to be part of something. And when Jesus says, join up with me, he's saying we've got work to do. Yoke is for work. But here's the thing. When you work for Christ, it's not exhausting work like work that has no point other than for us. Man, it does not matter if you are working a low-wage job or whether you are the Donald Trump in your area saying you're fired. God help us. It doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum of money that you make or whether you're unemployed or whether you're partially employed. Here's the beautiful thing. When you follow Christ, when you say, Jesus, my life has not been what it should be, and that's why I need you, and you take his yoke upon you, no matter your job, there's purpose in it. It is. Everything that we do, it should be done as to Christ. That means that when you have a boss that asks you to do unreasonable things and you say, well, I was about to get off, it means that God is sovereign over your jerk face boss. And it means that God has those things to happen in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. And the point of work, a byproduct of work, we could say, is providing for ourselves, providing for our families, Having money to buy necessary things, you know, deer feeders and stuff like that. I mean, necessary things. And <clears throat> we all right? <laughs> Talking about that last week, I had, had a gentleman come up and say, no, I do not have a deer feeder. I have a squirrel feeder. But if a deer happened to come and try to steal the feed from the squirrels, I will have to defend the squirrels. <laughs> all right? That is called Franklin County bordering on the line of illegality hunting. Probably not to the glory of God, but it fills the freezer, all right? (laughs) Not speaking from experience. Nervous laughs all throughout the room. But when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, you get community. You get to work with a team of people who are headed towards the same goal. See, that's what church should be about. Rocky Mount Baptist, we're not just here to have music of a certain sort. We're not just here to hear an entertaining talk lack or lack thereof on a Sunday morning. We come together on Sundays, man, to recharge from being beat up all week long. And we come here and we sing, whether we can sing or not. You say, well, Jeff, I don't want to sing loud. I may throw somebody off. It's good. Sing. And we learn about the Word of God so that we can go out. On Monday morning and some of you guys Shortly after we get out here because you have to work so much and we go out in the power of jesus christ And we take that yoke of jesus into the job that we're working But we look to the right to the left and we see other brother brothers and sisters in christ that are struggling But are being faithful to jesus And about this point there's uh, there's a lot of skepticism in our culture today And if you're a skeptic once again, we're very glad that you're here But you look at that and you say now hold on a yoke Jeff was also used in the ancient times to put across two poles, and whenever an army was conquered, they had to walk under the yoke. You're right. Jesus is not only saying here that you've got work to do, that I will give you work, I will give you purpose, but what he's saying is that when you come to me, you submit and you follow me. You lay down the sword of self-righteousness or the sword of selfishness on the altar and Jesus is the one who takes control. And people who say, well, Jeff, it seems like Jesus is kind of talking about slavery. He is. Now, follow me here. Many times the word used is servant in the New Testament, it speaks of slave. It speaks of a person who is a bond servant who has chosen their master But when Jesus is your master, he's the greatest master that ever could be. Amen. Jesus is perfect in wisdom. Jesus is loving more than we could ever imagine. He's patient. For those of you who struggle with patience, Jesus has it all. And he has it available for us. You say, well, Jeff, I don't like that idea of servitude. You need to realize that all of us worship something. We do. All of us worship something. For some of us, it's the accolades, the things that we can accomplish. For some of us, it's having a certain amount of land. For some of us, it's having a certain level of respect, being known for being something that people respect. But when you come to Jesus Christ, it's the first point to where you actually become everything that you know that you've needed to be. And not only that, your life can make an eternal difference. And the awesomeness of wearing the yoke of Jesus Christ is that we serve Jesus together. Just about a month ago, uh, we had this stage filled with our students talking about what God had done through their mission trip in Richmond, Virginia with the church that was established to target homeless people. That's camaraderie. That's community. That's life with a purpose, and a lot of them went because you guys gave. Praise God for you. After they sat down, we had this stage filled with young adults Saying, many of those saying with tears how God had touched them as they went to Central America to touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's teamwork. When we gather, we're actually going to gather on Wednesday night to do some follow-up reach-out with all of the families who've come to vacation Bible school who don't have a church home. And you gather together and say, you know what, God has given us an opportunity to reach out to people who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's community. That's that's purpose. And it's so awesome to see so many of you guys just a couple of years ago, you first started coming to church. Isn't it awesome when you see your friends and family first start coming into church? It's kind of like walking on the wrong side of the line of the rival gang. Like, am I going to get jumped? Am I going to have somebody come out and try to judge me? Am I going to have an overly aggressive Baptist preacher try to get me into a, a full Nelson and baptize me without my consent? I mean, what's going to happen? Am I going to go in and lightning is going to start striking the building, the whole thing fall down and kill 200 people? And what's going to happen? Here's the thing. When your friends and your family start coming, they hear the gospel, praise God. And then many of you are here this morning. You've got your Bible and you're studying about Jesus because somebody had mercy on you. And in love, they reached out to you in the love of Jesus Christ. And their character broke down the walls for you to actually hear the gospel of Jesus. You see, the burden for many of us of unsaved friends can be a crushing, crushing burden. But with Jesus, it is light because Jesus carries the load with us. Here's a couple of ways that we can apply this and put it into practice in our, in our lives. If you've got your worship guide, you can follow along. Ways to exercise, or we, we could say ways to generate or rather exercise and demonstrate the power of gospel-generated gentleness and meekness and humility. Here's one way. When you interact with people who don't know Jesus or people who are skeptical about Jesus, when you debate about the truth claims of Christianity, you allow gentleness and humility to characterize that interaction. One study said that gentleness is what should encourage others to delight in their company. Proverbs chapter 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, here's the word, to be gentle. And show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. One way that we apply what God has created in our hearts is when you talk to people that don't believe the gospel and they may be a little bit smart, Ellick, it does not help them coming to Christ if you return it. I think one of the most powerful arguments for Christianity is our confidence in the truth of the gospel. That we don't have to take people by the head. We don't have to twist their arm. We share the gospel, but as it says in 1 Peter 3 in verse 15, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 24. And the Lord's servant, this is all of us, must not be Quarrelsome. Let me repeat that one more time, alright, cause there may not be anybody in here who has an issue with that, but maybe for somebody on the podcast. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. Here's the thing. You've got lost friends, lost co-workers. They don't know Jesus. And whenever you share the gospel, they're very I guess we could say standoffish with it. When you do it in gentleness, it causes them to be attracted to your company. You know, a lot of times, businesses will talk to us about people skills, about leadership skills, about working with people. You know, if you really look behind the veil, all those good people skills are is simply the character of Jesus Christ. Where you're patient with people, or you're strong, where you're assertive, where you're loving where you're willing to point out things in a loving way to help them do what they need to do. You see, we can give good arguments for the gospel, but we, like the old saying, can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Just because we have good arguments for the truth of Christianity doesn't mean someone's going to get saved. Truth can't make them drink. But your Christ-likeness, your humility, your gentleness can cause them to see, say, you know what? If they can handle this type of controversy, maybe I'll look into it. And for those of you that have friends that are not followers of Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus to save them. Pray for them, but you don't save anybody and I don't. And isn't that good news? Talk about huge pressure taken off. Another way that we use humility and gentleness is, is when we correct brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I don't know if you guys have ever, ever had the, the experience of being jumped on by somebody who thinks that they're doing the Lord's work and it's not done in a spirit of gentleness. You know what it often does? It pushes people further away from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in in verse 2, says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. If you get frustrated with a family member, in patience, bearing with them in love, be gentle. You say, Jeff, they're a jerk. They have a fuse that's about this short. Seems that they get set off all the time. Guess what sets them off even more? When we respond in anger, And when we respond in the same way, in gentleness. Proverbs 15, 1 again, a soft answer turns away wrath. You say, Jeff, I've tried it, but they haven't changed. Continue to put your trust in God. Allow Jesus to help you be gentle and humble in those situations. And you trust God to change their heart because you can't do it. And neither can I. Another way that we apply this is when we actually hear the Bible being taught. Make a note here in James chapter 1, this powerful passage Chapter 1 and verses 19 through 21. The Bible says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That means when we lose our temper, it doesn't produce what God knows will fix the situation. Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or receive with gentleness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What it means is that when we come to read the Bible, when we come to hear it in a sermon or a small group study session, we come with the spirit of humility and gentleness. And James chapter 3 says that the way we treat people with gentleness is one of the greatest signs. And guys, this is hard for us. It's one of the greatest signs of our leadership ability and our Christian maturity. James chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That means we can be brilliantly smart, but if we don't apply... What we know in the meekness of wisdom, then we're actually fools. Simply put, if you're an abrasive jerk, it means that you're immature. If you're known for that in your family, if you're a jerk, if you're angry, if you're consistently short-tempered, what it means is that you are immature in your faith in Christ if you're a follower of Him to begin with. And guys, this is a great text for us to follow. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 this is Paul speaking to young Timothy. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, sin. He says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and... notice." gentleness verse 12 begins with fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses guys this is amazing because the bible fuses together meekness gentleness and fighting the fight of faith how crazy is that I mean, seriously, that we are to be gentle, we are to be humble as we follow Christ and as we fight this worldly system. What it means is that the power that we realize can change the world is the power of Christ. So therefore, we are able to exercise gentleness and humility. And finally, ladies, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, for ladies, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, ladies, of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. What it does, ladies, when you show gentleness, humility, meekness in your family, it shows that your trust is in God. And notice how Jesus sums this up. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said back in 28, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. There may be some here today that says, Jeff, I have tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I've realized it's not been enough. In my own strength, I've not been enough for my family, and I'm sure not enough for God. I need help. Guess what? Jesus is talking to you. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. For some here this morning, you say, Jeff, man, I'm just so, honestly, I'm tired of running. I am tired. I am exhausted. I have run. I have tried. I've run from God. I've experienced what that's like. I've been broken. I've been through divorce. I've had health issues. I've had things happen to me, Jeff, and I'm just tired. I'm broken. I'm worn out. Guess what? Jesus is the perfect one for you. He says, come to me. Isn't that an amazing thing? That Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all of you who have it all together. All of you who have degrees, come to me. All of you who have money, all of you who have paid off your house, come to me. I've got great things for you to do because you have social and economic, financial mobility. But Jesus says, all of those who are in the gutters, come to me. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can use anyone, but he points to the ones that are broken and knees buckling and absolutely exhausted because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That is the mightiness, the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've I've talked to so many people and they say, Jeff, I want to give my life to Christ, but I've got addictions. I've got issues in my life. I don't think I could do it. That's the point. That's the point. We can't. We can't. We never could. That's why Jesus came to be perfect for us. Y'all say, Jeff, what did you drink this morning? It's an amazing thing that we sometimes we gloss over the power of the gospel. The people who have no hope, they can come to Jesus and Jesus says, I'll make you brand new. I'll make you brand new. Yes, you still have the scars in your body and the memories of the past, but you will be made brand new. A new heart, a new mind, new desires. And here's my yoke to serve me with other people that I've saved from the same type of stuff. Praise be to Jesus this morning. Praise be to Jesus for His amazing love and His amazing grace.